HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hi, I'm Katie Mosman-Wadler, Executive Director of HRN. HRN is dedicated to amplifying small businesses that keep our communities vibrant. Today, I'm asking business owners to take part in our business membership drive by supporting HRN's mission with a $500 membership. HRN will shine a light on your work, and you'll help sustain our mission to expand the way eaters think about food. As a thank you for this tax-deductible donation, your business will receive on-air mentions, social media posts, listings on our website, and more. You'll also play an essential role in keeping nonprofit food radio on the air. Go to heritageradionetwork.org biz to become a business member today. That's heritageradionetwork.org B-I-Z. Thank you for your support. I'm going to be um, kind of having a great discussion. We already started to have a great discussion in the back. <laughs> uh, with really, really uh, super um, talented winemaker from different areas of, of Austria. So over there to my left, we have Andreas, Leo, Adriana, and Steven. So uh, we are going to go through their wine uh, and talk a bit about their work. So that's kind of what's the point today. So we are going to also talk about wine that the winemakers are not here. Uh, and we're kind of trying to discuss their wine and their perspective and with different type of angle. Um, very quick housekeeping. Um, the wine and all the range that these guys are making, you can find them in a, in a far... I think east corner of the room over there. <laughs> there was some sun this morning, uh, as well as an open bar when you're going to find other cuvee from the winemaker that we are showing today. We are just showing one cuvee per person. Okay, so please, if you're interested by one of them, go over there and test the range. So it's way more to taste. And it's really about today kind of bring a lot of attention to the incredibly dynamic that's happening, I think, in Austria. Um, how we are going to taste. We are going to do four flights of free wines. Okay? So when we are done with the flight, please dump and they will pour the next free wines. And you can follow. We are going to start uh, on your sheet. Uh, we are going to follow the, the column. Okay? So as you can see, the first three ones that you have, the one from Christophe, the one from Leo, and the one from 
Adriana. Um, so just done that. There is more wine to taste at the end if you want. Okay. So um, we are going to try to answer to the very important uh, question: What is happening in Austria? And I think I'm not sure there is an hour will be enough because there is a lot of things happening in Austria. Um, I think uh, as as a wine buyer in New York, um, it's probably one of the countries I've been the most excited about, you know, in Europe. Um, for a couple of reasons. Um, first is a uh, incredible, uh, strong identity and dynamic. I think what's been happening in the different region and the way that these guys and a lot of others have been embracing at the same time their history, their heritage, but also the potential of their region with a lot of new techniques and experimentation to a super, super, super high level of precision is commitment is rare. I think it's, there is not a lot of country like that when you have at the same time an idea of creativity and trying and pushing and, and, and trying to understand their place and their, and their history and their background, but at the same time delivering us wines that have a lot of precision. I think what you are finding on the market for no sulfur, low sulfur, skin contact, pet nut, all that, what you get in a bottle when you're opening one of the wine usually coming from Austria is of the uttermost quality. Like, it's not going to be fucked up wine. And I think that's very important. There is a respect also on that side for us as drinker. And I think this is only being possible because there is a real deep understanding of their place, their grapes, and the technique. And this is what we're going to talk about. So I think there is a lot of things happening in Austria. And what is also very important and interesting, and we're going to see that today, it's not happening in one region. It's happening all over the country. Okay, so we are going to talk really about really different perspective and landscape about that. It's not only one place that is pushing, it's everywhere, which is really quite extraordinary as a dynamic for a whole country. Okay, so let's start first. Uh, we are going to start, what's happening in Austria? But yeah, you're okay. first, you're on my left. <laughs> hey guys, nice to meet you. Uh, what's happening? Uh, there are coming quite a lot uh, young winemakers. Um, who try to to bring the terroir as naturally as possible in the bottle? Yeah, that's that's going on. Or Leo, what do you say? So, <laughs> it, I think it's yeah, it's all over. It's all over. A lot of young winemakers try it uh, to come back from the technical way back to the natural way. And yes, some wineries are in the front, <laughs> and we, I think, uh, we tried them several years ago to make the step back and uh, also prestigious and to get real ni nice, drinkable and drinky natural wine. So that's all. Yes. Yeah, so there is, you, so there is different waves, and you really think that right now, like the new generation is like really. Um, Benefiting from what was done since the 1980s, and you can push more. Okay. What's happening in Austria, especially with you as a, somebody that also come from outside? So yeah, I am a Spanish, so um, I think in Austria, what it happened, it have a lot of, together with heritage. Uh, we are a all wine country, and young people, like they say, they are trying to to believe in them. They are trying to to try to experiment new things, but uh, the the stone of all of these things is this heritage and the beautiful um, landscape that we have, the culture that we do have. With uh, be open to interpret it in, in maybe in another way, in a way that maybe was uh, 
um, on the 80s, on the 90s, can you forget about all this industry? You know, uh, people is coming back to to the roots, and they are, we are doing well all together, I think. And just you think, as somebody coming from Spain, um, you know, for example, in France, we have these very structural rules, and you are in the appellation, and you can't really experiment without being out loud right away. It's a bit like that in Spain. Do you think in in Austria you have this ability to have a bit of freedom while still respecting a certain like frame of work? Uh, freedom on, on which way do you mean with uh, experimenting? Or? Oh no, no, in terms of uh, no wine. We are not going to talk about politics today, okay. guys. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, we <laughs> that. No politics. Yeah. So um, in terms of like uh, trying to do a, a different wine or like grapes or all that in your frame. Yeah, I think Austria is very developed. Uh, we are thinking organic. Um, in our area, in Burgenland, it's like 40% of, of the um, farmers are working organic. This is huge amount. I think we are uh, faster in development. Uh, it's a green thinking country, no? Uh, yeah. it's, it's very good. We are happy to be, to be like this, and it's going to, to get more. Uh, young generations just think on, on this way, no? Yes, they don't think the other way. Yeah, it's just the way. It's like uh, there is no other way, no? You cannot take your uh, view uh, out of the site because it is, it is yeah. Great. And so what's happening? Yeah. Um, oh, hi. Um, I think uh, what's happening is um, just a, a reason um, something is happening. Um, I think the, the Austrian wine market, uh, I mean, I, I can say it personally, personally but uh, I think you... Uh, would agree as well. Um, for a young generation like we are, it's pretty hard to get to sell the wines in Austria for the Austrian market. So we all have a very high uh, export quote and with a style of wines which is uh, completely different from uh, the usual Austrian style of wines, which uh, yeah, definitely is um, other thing. And um, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's quite a hard work to um, get into uh, the business um, and that's why we, we changed things and that's why the natural wine movement uh, uh, were uh, that fast and um, it's, it's developing pretty well. Um, yeah, uh, I think uh, that changed uh, a lot and the whole thinking about wine um, for this young generation of wine growers uh, is completely different. Uh, yeah, um, I mean, I can say it for Burgenland, but uh, also for uh, other parts of, of Austria, um, where we have this uh, very high uh, export quote. Um, most of our wines, or, or the wines we will taste today, are not sold in Austria. It's uh, incredible, but that's uh, we really have to tell you. <laughs> Which is quite uh, quite surprising, but also it uh, allows to have like multiple international perspective, and I'm guessing keeping being open and, and discovering what's happening everywhere, and get a lot of outdoor ex outside exchange. Well, because what we're going to taste today is made with your grape, your soil, and your reinterpretation of all that with this international influence mm -hmm. in terms of just exchange with what's going on. So, 
I, I think that makes a kind of a, quite an incredible combination, um, and hopefully you are going to taste it with us uh, in an hour uh, or, or so. So let's start tasting, guys. Um, and I wanted to start with uh, a producer that is not here today, but uh, is someone that totally changed my mind on how to think about about Grunewaldliner and uh, what is. Uh, what about his literary of in Kremstahl. So, you know, when you are learning about wine, it's kind of this very classic uh, profile of the grape, and he's one of the ones that just exploded my mind about what can you do with this grape and blending it and all that. So let's start. The first one is going to be the sparkling wine. Uh, we can have a little bit more. It's called Kalspitz. Um, and um, I think it's a little bit like all of you guys with Christophe taking over the family estate and being trained at a pretty high end in winemaking school and... Uh, really having also been absolutely uh, converted to the idea of great farming and biodynamic farming and from that started to experiment uh, when he knew a little bit about and understanding his terroir to an extreme that I think today is mastered very well because when you see on paper about this one you will be like I'm not totally sure about what I'm going to taste um, because it's a blend of different grape variety. Uh, there is a, like a base of Grunewaldliner, but is uh, working also with Valgal, with Blau Portugueser. There is a bit of Muscao Tonel also here, and there is a part that's been aged in skin, some has been aged in barrel. There is two different types of seller. He's doing all the malolactic here on this wine, and he's doing a pet nut. And when you see all that put together, you are like, not sure. And when you taste the wine, and it's definitely a wine I've been following for a couple of years, I think this is a, one of the most mastered sparkling wine made in pet nut style that I've been lucky to encounter. And I think this is because there is an extraordinary farming with somebody that really understands very well the grape and is able to push the limit to extract what he can, how he can, with patience and time. Um, so I would like to know what you think, guys, about this wine. Uh, and how you guys also for a first introduction as a kind of a welcome to the new uh, exploration path of Austria, but deeply grounded. What do you think about that? You already drank it, so... <laughs> I think it's quite a... On one side, it's, it's, it's quite a fresh, complex, uh, easygoing style of, of, of pet nut, or I don't know, it's, it's Angestral, I think. And I really like his way uh, to, it's also my thinking, um, I think you don't have to just put uh, one vintage in, in one bottle. I think it, it, it's, it's nice to, to do complex wines with different vintages and yeah, bring some, some free, freestyle to it. Yeah. And I think Christoph is doing it really, really well. Yeah, because he has a very specific part of um, a very specific type of, of limestone soil and is uh, on, the, on the right bank of the Danube. So it's not necessarily where you have most of the vineyard from the area. And you have this very specific active limestone soil quite high in, in elevation. And one of the ideas is to transcend the vintage, to transcend the grape, to showcase that site in a wine. And he has been working a lot, as you said, with multi-vintages to kind of erase the vintage effect to really show the place. And I don't know a lot of people that have been pushing so much with so many different wine techniques and having such a precision in a glass. 
especially of the quality of the bubble, the length, the layer of aromatics, a tiny bit of the laziness, of course, coming from the fermentation. But then you can kind of pick up a lot of different little hints of detail while you are at 10.5% alcohol and you are below 18 ppm. So we are really talking about a time of patience and a, and a mastery about the quality of what it can do. So uh, I think it's somebody that, for me, in this part of Austria has been really shaking up the thing quite a lot, and at least on our side in, in the US market. And so I, would, I encourage you to continue to discover his work because I think it's really, really high quality. Yeah? Uh, yeah, def definite, definitely. Uh, I would agree with that as well. Um, um, I also think that um, if you um, want to talk about uh, um, variety of Vinovitina. There, there's still um, the variety going on, and um, um, you definitely can say um, you, you find the character of Vinovitina in there. The, the peppery notes and so on, the cool notes, uh, green peppers and so on. That's a really good made pet nut. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Awesome. So let's continue with you. Yeah. Okay. So where are you from? So I'm from Lower Austria, so I'm in the northern part of Austria. So it's, I think, uh, we are one of the coolest growing regions in Austria. So but we have also the big climate change the last 15 years, and uh, we get them. So we never pick uh, the variety of Grüner Vitlina early as the last uh, 15 years before. So normally we start picking with Grunovitlina four more times. I think my father did it around uh, beginning of earliest, beginning of October and ended uh, in the mid of November. And now we are also over three weeks faster than normal. Um, yeah, uh, so we are real close to the Czech border. So it's just 25 kilometers in the north and uh, we are on the Czech border and we at my winery is also situated, so it's just 50 minutes up to the city center of Vienna. So uh, you see it on the map. So uh, the wine fiddle district, the growing district in the north is on the map one of the biggest, but everything is quite close together. Also, Gramsdal to Christoph, I take only 30 minutes ride to his winery, to his place, and it's on the different side of the Danube. From my hillside, I can see the slopes of his, his vineyards, and that's the, the craziest thing about the district when we talk about the areas in Austria, So because the northern part is quite close together. And the wine styles are so dominated on the microclimate and also on the, on the, the special soil of each hillside. So it's the history, history about the, the, the soil is coming. So it's a part like Christoph. Uh, we have also gravel uh, limestone on it from the old seaside. But he has a, a different microclimate because uh, the air direction is just 30 kilometers away from my hill, hillside. And you get also real different styles. So that's the real nice part uh, when you try all the wines of the region in the so what makes your, your area very special for you? What If we have to think about your, your area in the north by the Czech Republic, if you can, of, in a couple of words, say soil, climate, what do we need to think about to understand your wine? In terms of climate, soil, and then get, let's get into your wine. 
the special thing is we are also always some days later than the other regions of the ripening. And so we get a much higher day and night temperature during the ripening process. So for me, it starts uh, in August and um, between the day and night. And uh, that's the, the real crazy thing in Austria. So uh, my friends also in Burgenland, uh, they have to start picking uh, mid or end of August and we don't think about the, the, the picking of the grapes and so and everything is quite close and the microclimate is so dominant so about of 120 kilometers you have in our district uh, four climate zones of picking how to find the right picking of the grapes for to find uh, it for your personal wine style how to do it so we also Pick, uh, we start picking beginning of September and end uh, normally end of October. So it's a huge, uh, huge window. window. How to find the right picking for the wine style, what you prefer by yourself. So you have been working biodynamic since some times. Um, what's uh, into words like what the farming that you are doing? How how do you try to capture? that liveliness and that, that life of, of the vineyard into your bottle and especially in this cuvee? How, what's, what's the process for you? Uh, the process is also to keep the, the soil real livable and that's the way uh, the, the wines get all the minerals in it. And this vineyard of the Wunsbeck uh, vineyard is planted by my grandfather, so in the year 1985, so it's quite old vineyard and we use also the COVID time to renew the, uh, this old vineyard to keep the old root system uh, because this old uh, gen genetic of the Grüner Vitlina keeps them also special to the younger selections uh, of Vitlina of, of and um, that's so amazing. So we also focused that we get the, the further selection for replantings from these old vineyards or focus to uh, find old vineyards all the genes uh, to replant them when the soil, to fit to the soil. So that's the, the goal, what I'm looking for. And here, what do you try to extract? How do you make the wine to kind of express at its best? What is your winemaking uh, technique and tools to showcase that genetic diversity, this old vine, this soil? How do you, what, what's the point of your winemaking so, for this wine uh, to capture that? This is that? the old school winemaking, so my grandfather did it. So it was my first project when I do my first wine and um, I have an office job before and then I say uh, I never will be a winemaker and years later I say okay uh, you can do cool stuff but how you can do that so in the school you learn all the modern stuff to add a lot of stuff to get the classical Austrian modern wine style and um, I have to rethinking about them to, to keep it pure. And so this wine, the Hunsbeck uh, vineyard, uh, it's um, not typical for natural winemaking. It's the real late picking. It's the last vineyard I pick at home. Um, but we keep a normal, at this time, we have real cool nights. And so we can keep uh, the berries over three days without fer any fermentation process because it's too cold during night. Uh, and uh, keep them on the skins and after that we make only a soft pressing and keep bring them directly like the old way in the oak barrel 
results <laughs> and let them start. So uh, the, the focus for that wine for me is to keep it like the old regional tradition. But it's a high-end selection of the berries so that we can really work without any sulfates and all this adding and microbiological controlling stuff. What you learn in school uh, to have to be say on the safe side, but uh, you, I think you have always to be, uh, you have to walk on the red line uh, to get the real expression out of, of, of the vineyards. Yeah, because here in terms of sulfur, we are very, very low. Yeah. There is, yeah. I think it's a very powerful and at the same time lifted expression, which I think is interesting for Austria. For me, it's always having this combination of ripeness and glycerol and textural aspects, but always a backbone of acidity. And there is not a lot of area where like that you can do that with dry wine, that you have the weight, um, not necessarily weight in alcohol. You don't, we are not talking about 15% of enough. And how much are you in that? Like, Thirteen point five. So we are not talking about overly high bit of glycerol, and you you preserve that that acid structure uh, that at the end is also what's going to define the, the skeleton of the wine. And then you have all this dry extract at the end. And there is this really potential in Austria for climate, and because you have the right grape variety to be able to do that. So I think that's a really very good example. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> well, we have a lot of wine to taste, so let's go down. <laughs> How far are you guys if you have to drive from one to another? Two. An hour and a half. Okay, we are going to very far. <laughs> Don't forget to go to Long Island Vineyard these two hours. So <laughs> let's, let's put things in perspective. So an hour and a half, and we are going to totally change landscape and, and area and feeling. So what's, what about your area, your place, yourself, yeah. and this wine? So I will tell you a little bit about us. Um, we are two. So I am Adriana, and at home with the children is Martin. Um, we are a wine. Both of us, we are we are making the wine together. We are a very little uh, winery with ten hectares. So everything was started like uh, 10, 12 years ago. We were working um, as winemakers for very important biodynamic um, wineries in in our area. And because of our life, our life is wine, no? And we love it so much. So we were starting with one barrel in 2009. And the winery was growing. Um, it was, was very intense time. Uh, at, the no at the moment, we don't know anymore how we managed to, to make three harvests per, per year. But on that time, we, we were making it, no? And since two years, three years ago, we are at home just focusing in our project. Yeah, what we what we make for us, um, like I say uh, before, um, the heritage is everything. Uh, the heritage and also the, the the soils that we do have, the area where we grow. Uh, we are uh, in Burgenland region. This is uh, North Burgenland exactly. It's like uh, 50 kilometers southwest of Vienna. It is an area that is surrounded by a, by a gorgeous and very, very big steppe lake uh, that have around 50 kilometers. And up the top, in the top of the Mindias, you, you we do have uh, forest. So the forest, the sea, um, makes the, the area and this world that everybody hears so often, you know, this, this terroir is part, is part of us. 
and um, what we what we do work uh, this incredible area because we do have these two extreme soils the calc in one side and the schist in the other side and give us a lot of possibilities um, to work with so today you are having here this is our wine uh, we are having uh, it's called Edelbrun it's an it's a I am speaking German, sorry. It's a, a Gruna Berlina. This is the problem with Spanish. I don't know anymore in which language I speak. Um, the Spanish, the German, the English now. Um, so um, here is uh, the variety is Gruna Berlina. No? Gruna Berlina has an incredible old tradition in Burgenland. I don't know if you know about, but Burgenland was still uh, 100 years ago part of Hungary. So we are also very influenced from the culture from Hungarian people and, and from the monarchy uh, times. So for this, I would love that each of you, uh, we are coming to visit the winery because just in this way, you, you could get an idea of who we, of who we are no? and what the area is. And, but it's really amazing place. So this, this parcel that we do have here, um, it's called Edelbrun. It's coming from the single vineyard Edelgraben. Um, it's a, a small vineyard, just with six rows. Uh, it was, it is like this because it was in the in the monarchy times. All the vineyards were split through the childrens, so each children was getting part of the vineyard. And for this, our areas, our vineyards are always so so small. And of the six rows, we it's a, like 70 years old vineyard, so it's quite old. And we have three rows of La Frankis that I have later if somebody wants to taste it's very good and three three rows of of Kruna Berlina. and the vineyard is quite special because it's surrounded by by the forest so it's really really cold um we always harvest this Kruna Berlina and also the Blafranc is like three weeks later and we just have 12 percent volume so these old clones of Kruna Berlina we are always less alcoholic uh, at what the modern clones uh, are nowadays and also this, this coldness, no? because it's a cold in, um, area because of this, the alcohol is not so high, but alcohol is not everything. I think everybody in this room uh, knows, knows about. So uh, the texture and the structure that you can feel, uh, I hope that you can, that you can get it. No? And it's, this special, um, this schist, it's a very calcareous, um, a calcareous very a poros, uh, poros, how we say Poros, yeah. poros yeah. Uh, cyst, so the roots can go very well uh, because it's very breaky. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a decomposed, it's very yeah. altered kind yeah. of schist. And it has a lot of uh, minerals, so a lot of iron. iron. Uh, it's a red, uh, red schist, yeah, with a lot of mica too. Mica, yeah, is mica, 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 yeah. And yeah, I, uh, amazing place. And yeah, I would like to that, that you that you see it. But yeah. I think what is very interesting is you are mentioning things like like the quality of clonal, like clonal massa selection, having the old vine, especially with new clones of Gruner that can go higher in alcohol. And of course, question of the alcohol is a big one. So how do you preserve freshness and the vegetal material is a big one. Mm -hmm. The altitude, the north facing seems to be a big one too. The kind of sure. management of the farming, I'm guessing too, uh, helping to manage to buffer that. And in your winemaking style, uh, which I think here you can pick up a bit of reduction on the nose for this wine, which I think is a very nice reduction um, your style of winemaking is also done in a way that is allowing you to preserve compounds and structure with long aging 
and a minimal amount of sulfur. Yes. So I think we can feel that in this wine also. Yeah, this, this way that we do work um, is a very old way. So we do not use um, modern techniques. We are, like I said before, we, we are very focused on, on terroir and on character. We want to make big wines. Um, all our wines follow also the same line, so we don't have a fresh and fruity, so all are following this, this way. We make always short macerations with the stems. The stems are the root of our winemaking thinking. We think uh, wine as food accompaniment. And we think these stems help us uh, to, to bring a little bit, um, it helps you to connect with the floor, no? Uh, to, the, to the soil, to, to the, the soil. It's kind of the, the connection. Is yeah, a, is it's a, like, like is a, a channel. Lunga, no? The it's channel a, for, for it's the spine. The spine, the spine is, yeah. a, is a stem. And what we do is work with the full list, so we don't move the wines. Um, we, we, we make short macerations with the stems, and then the, the wine, the juice, goes just direct to the barrel. Um, and they stay on the full list, uh, very reductive at the moment. If you come uh, to the winery, you could look it, but the wines are very reductive in this moment. But this reduction is, in our point of view, very important to, to allow the wine to grow without sulfur. So this full time on the list gives us also a sappiness in the, in the mouth. I don't think that our, our wines are quite uh, shine in the nose, but they are completely full and they make you um, salivate, salivate uh, uh, in the mouth. And this is also helping because of a long time on, on, the, the, list. on the list. Yeah. And um, that's it, no? Uh, before, with the whites, before um, bottling, we, we rack them. And then we always uh, add a little bit of sulfur before bottling because we want to keep away um, so some problems like mouseness and because of this with sulfur. We could also, we, look, we want to have them precise because of this we, we add always a little bit of, of, of sulfur, but really minimum amount. But nothing during the aging of the wine and the winemaking process. No, no. Like the wine no. is done by itself. Sometimes, depending on the year, if the year, because we work very clean, so we are freakies. <laughs> We take away its botrytis. And if the vintage is very complicated, we can't add, add some sulfites on the grapes. This year, for example, we didn't add sulf uh, sulfites on the grapes. So there is no rules, no? It, each vintage, uh, we, we think on it and, and we change. Uh, not, not it's not a bit changing, no? But it's not like receipts. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a lot of uh, bow, yeah. good, bow. Good feel. Good feel, yeah. Yeah, I, th I think this wine is a great masterclass also in terms of, uh, of, of something that has been more and more and more talk in terms of what makes a good wine a good wine and salivating and all that, which is the umami aspect, which is something we haven't really talked a lot in wine. We're already talking about salinity and salt, but you know, there is almost no salt in wine. Something like sodium doesn't exist in wine. In fact, we're confusing it with umami, uh, which can take on certain side when you think about miso sauce and all this kind of thing, a salty aspect that's going to remind you of that. But lees and the amino acid in the lees are going to really feed the wine with this kind of umami feeling. And this is what we're thinking at the back. This aspect of the wine when you spit it is still staying. There is still a kind of a coating aspect. There is a savory aspect that is not harsh. And the leaves are bringing that, and it's something that more and more people are really talking about in terms of expression of the place and quality of winemaking. And I think your wine is really like showing that very well. And I think yours too, it was a bit more hidden by the oak, but it was also showing it in the back. And I really encourage you to start to think about the feeling in the back of your, of, when you spit, not 
Try some salt, try some soy sauce side by side. See where the thing about your palate, the salt is going to be at the very beginning. The soy sauce is going to be at the very end when you spit. And that is something that I think great wine are able to give amino acid in their must and are able to give that back. And that's a, one of the expression of terroir. And I think we can taste that with you with the quality of the lease work. So that's very cool. Okay, let's move on uh, because <laughs> we're almost uh, done. Uh, we have nine wine to taste and we have a lot to, to talk to you about. <laughs> so uh, we need the free glasses and maybe we can start already to talk about what you are doing because I'm very, very excited about your, <laughs> your wine also. Um, yeah, um, maybe first, uh, that's the question I always get. Uh, what does Colfog means? Um, like it's from a, a local dialect as adriana said before uh, actually um, we're not uh, really austrians uh, we're hungarians living in austria now <laughs> uh, german-speaking um, hungarians uh, in my case uh, my last name is valanchit so there's croatian as well um, and uh, yet that's the thing um, I mean, we're still struggling with our uh, identity uh, personally, but also uh, with the winemaking we're doing, with the work uh, we're doing. So uh, that can be kind of a problem, but it can be also useful. Um, yeah, uh, I'm located just uh, half an hour away from Adriana, so in the middle part of Burgenland, uh, which is now well known for its red wines. Uh, that wasn't uh, before, like 30 years ago, 40 years ago, it, uh, especially the town of Neckenmark was 50-50, uh, balanced between red and white wine. And um, yeah, uh, when I started um, doing wines, um, just uh, well, almost 10 years ago, um, I was just thinking about this fact that uh, we had 50-50, so I went um, down to the cellar of my grandfather and saw all those uh, white wines uh, from Neckenmarkt and that's where um, I tried to, to find uh, white wines from Neckenmarkt uh, nowadays and everybody just told me well we're a red wine region uh, uh, we can't make white wine and um, that's why I said okay uh, challenge accepted <laughs> um, yeah, the thing was, I definitely uh, uh, didn't want to do um, the classic style um, uh, we drink in Austria, like Grünewitlino or uh, Welschriesling. Um, uh, I definitely, uh, I wanted to show um, the special conditions of Neckenmarkt, the special terroir. Um, we're located um, in a flat land, um, Burgenland is quite flat. Um, the region uh, Andreas comes from, uh, uh, how many sea meters are you above? 115, I always say Africa of Austria. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he's pretty flat and we're uh, up to uh, 500 meters above sea level. So that's a big change. Um, the thing is, uh, we benefit from um, the western part uh, of our region, which is open to the uh, Alpine climate. So we get a lot of cold winds uh, during the vineyards, uh, through the vineyards. Uh, and we also have this alpine soil, uh, which is, um, as Adriana uh, just said, 
limestone, schist, uh, also granite, and in the lower parts, uh, also loam clay uh, up to volcanic uh, soil. Um, one of the, uh, it's actually the uh, youngest uh, Vulcan, which was uh, just uh, 30,000 years still active, is uh, in this area as well. Um, so, yeah. And um, the thing was, when I, I started it, uh, it, it was almost the same like uh, uh, Martin and Adriana did. I just had one barrel of uh, Grüne Vetlina, one barrel of uh, Pinot Blanc, one barrel of uh, Welschriesling. And uh, I did it uh, on my own. Um, just uh, the way I was thinking about wine, pretty easy. Um, and uh, yeah, so, so that's how it uh, developed. Um, oh, I didn't tell you what Kolfog actually means. Uh, so <laughs> Kolfog means uh, someone um, who is uh, not accepting the conditions how they are. So uh, something like uh, getting out of the row uh, in the local dialect. Uh, my grandfather used to call me like that when I'm um, not in church on Sunday. Uh, we're a pretty high Catholic um, community there. So, yeah. And I, I'm also thinking uh, about uh, wines. Don't uh, do it too dogmatic. Uh, just keep it uh, easy and um, yeah, just work with the things you have. Um, for the wine we have now in the glass, it's a blend of Grünewetlina, Welschriesling and um, Chardonnay. Um, Sulfur is a big thing. Uh, everybody's uh, talking about sulfur. Is it good or uh, not good? Should we use it or not? And um, that was my idea how to uh, prevent uh, adding sulfur to the wine. So um, I used this method. Uh, I just uh, figured it out by myself. Um, uh, I use whole berries, so uh, I destem it. And um, then um, I do a maceration up to two months. And uh, during this maceration, fermentation is taking place inside the berry until they literally explode. And after this explosion, um, uh, the wine is pressed, the berries are pressed. And then the final uh, fermentation is still going on in large barrels. So those barrels are... Um, 1,200 liter Austrian oak um, from local uh, coopers. Um, also special about uh, those oaks, uh, those barrels is uh, they have a quite thick wood, so oxygenation isn't uh, that fast. And because of the process of fermentation still going on, we always are on a reductive side. So I don't have to add uh, any sulfur, but the wine uh, will keep uh, pretty straight and sharp. And um, that's what uh, I want to see in my wines, um, this, um, yeah, uh, liveness. Um, is this a word, liveness? Um, yeah. Yeah. Yes, OK. <laughs> and uh, yeah. Um, uh, I think uh, it, this uh, also have just uh, 12%, maybe uh, let's talk about climate change and so on. Um, I think I, 
I'm, I don't agree with um, um, the early picking. So this is uh, normally picked uh, in the, the mid of September, although we're a warm region. I, I'm just changing uh, vineyard systems now. Um, double wine planting, where I have two wines on one spot, or even another row uh, to the uh, uh, raw, which is uh, uh, there, so I can get more shape. I do less um, um, leaf work, so I don't uh, put leaves out. And I think what is also important, um, and which will become a problem for single vineyards is, um, I think we have to combinate sides. Uh, a pure south side is quite too hot in those days. So, for example, on this wine, I use north side, west side, east side, uh, a little bit of south side. So you, so you think that climate change, especially when you have single vineyard, can start to become complicated to do certain single vineyard unless you have really the right yeah. varieties and, and, and one of the solutions that you guys have yeah. And is 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 blending? Yeah. Is blending with a different plot that uh, on is one of the of, of yeah. The I mean that's that's just my opinion, but um, I, th I think um, in in my case I have a single vineyard which is uh, a south side, and uh, then I have a village wine from Blaufränkisch, and um, the village wine is much more elegant than the pure south side in um, some years because I can camp a combinate with uh, a Without. north side and so on. So, yeah. so just like guys to be clear here, the winemaking technique used on top of like the farming is a carbonic maceration um, that we don't really see for white. Uh, I know a couple of people doing that in the Roussillon, a couple of people doing that in California, but it's not a technique that's been very known for white wine. You know it, of course, for red wine. Um, um, and a true carbonic maceration also when you like pull out the juice and everything is really going intracellular. So um, I've, I, it's something I want to dig more into because I think that there is a pertinence for that for whites and something I just wanted to talk to you about because it's not the first vintage of this wine. You have been doing so. So when you think about carbonic, often people are saying you don't really have any terroir expression, the aromatics are too strong, you are picking up all this like enzymatic aromatics, okay, the amylic and all that. But I deeply believe you can extract things in a different way, and then you still have the fermentation that's going to allow the transformation. So, for for you, like with your 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 experience with this cuvee, um, do you how, how how does it age? How does it express itself? This is super young. It's twenty one. It's a bit on that reduction again. That doesn't matter. You you decant. You blow off. It's gonna definitely disappear. You don't pick it in the mouth, no problem. How does he? How does he age? How does he express itself? Pass is very like kind of useful uh, expression. It's definitely um, a pretty young wine. Um, um, I, I just uh, made this experiment uh, two two years, three years ago with uh, the first vintage, two thousand nineteen. So, uh, yeah, if you open a, a 19 now, uh, it's still on this very sharp uh, reductive side. But um, that's how uh, our soil is. I mean, this is the, this uh, whole mix of 
very uh, low nutrition soil. And um, um, yeah, that's how uh, I really can show the variety character, not the variety character, the vineyard character in it. And um, I use this method, the intracellular fermentation. Um, I wouldn't say it's, I mean, probably it's the same thing, but uh, I don't add any um, CO2 or anything like that. Uh, it's, it's more like the, the natural way of uh, Matration Carbonique. Um, I, I did that because uh, I was always uh, thinking about uh, skin contact, uh, skin fermentation. Um, most cases, uh, it's um, too much for me, um, especially uh, when you have oxygenation as well. Uh, so those wines um, tend to be on a very bright side. Um, yeah, that's that's why uh, I was also experiment experimenting about this technique. technique. I think this is also something I think is quite uh, interesting for me in uh, a lot of, the, of you guys. It's you have a, a technical background that allows you to understand some of, of the natural techniques or different type of, of working with the grapes, both in a vineyard and in a winery where you can use a natural uh, dynamic or the dynamic of nature to end up with a wine that has nothing but that touch of sulfites added at the end. And I think that the technical knowledge is something that is also key regarding that and to appreciate um, um, a different evaluation of how to make the wine in a cellar. So, okay, so we are going to move a little faster right now. The two next wine, um, uh, the winemaker are not here. So here, the, um, a little bit of, uh, we go back to not very far maybe from... From wow. you, <laughs> your, you are the local guy, okay? So, cuvée <laughs> uh, parcellaire uh, with my very great French, uh, parcellaire blanc, uh, number one. <laughs> I don't know how to say that with the Austrian accent, so I'm sorry for that. Uh, and here we are going to go with a, a blend of Welsh, Welsh Riesling and Chardonnay. Uh, and the Welsh Riesling have been aged in Amphora. So we are back north to a part of Van Vietel I didn't know very well. So maybe you can go quickly about just the area for... Uh, an overall aspect, and then we are going to go into the wine quickly. So the area of Johannes Winery is um, a bit more flat, but also the, the vineyards uh, are surrounded of, of woods. So um, it's also a lot of chalky soil in that. Um, in Johannes area, so he's uh, just one and one, over one hour far away from me, um, but he's always uh, get a, a ripeness a bit normal over two up to three weeks before our region. Mm -hmm. So we are still in the same wine growing district by law, but it's so different. Uh, um, and so it makes also the, the styles so different. So, so different, yeah. And one of these cuvee and the parcellary string to do is what you were mentioning about this idea of climate change and rethinking about that, and he's really looking to get some sites that are more north or northeast facing to really go and preserve the freshness. That's, that's on purpose. The whole line is about that, looking for exposures that are going to allow to preserve natural freshness in an area if you're not careful and you're not doing the right farming. You can make wines that are... Too opulent and, and too so rich. And not so, so fresh and straight ahead. So. Yeah, which I think here is quite striking to have that tension definition. Mallow is done on this wine and the acid is absolutely outstanding. 
um, and the severiness at the end. Uh, he's doing something in Amphora. Uh, what do you think, guys? Have you been trying, like Amphora, of course, as being a very, um, very pro like proponent new way of vinifying and aging, and we know the virtue of, of Amphora in certain countries and with grape variety. Uh, what do you think? Have you been working, guys, with Amphora? Is it something that you are looking for to, and which type? Like in 30 seconds? <laughs> so, um, I think it's, it's always important that you don't feel on a wine where it, uh, that you don't feel on a wine where it was matured. Uh, you don't feel the, the, the vessel where it was matured. So I think a wine should always be from the vineyard, you know. It should be influenced as possible. And I think Amphora is nice and, you know, it's modern and everything. Uh, but I think it can be also, in a way, it can be also influenced, like wood. Uh, I think it's, I think the mixture and, and also the, the, the working with it, to, to have to work, uh, uh, you have an idea of yeah. a wine and that's the important thing. Because Amphora is so much more complex between the shape, the, the type of, of earth, the type of clay you're going to use, or it's a different type of terracotta. If it's going to be a terracotta, it's going to be a, like a gray style. Is it going to be porous, unporous? Is it going to be underground, above ground? We just can't say Amphora. We have yeah. to really yeah. think about, I'm guessing with your reductive style of winemaking, having something done in sandstone and ceramic and all that could work, having something open and porous and terracotta would be a whole different story. It's, it's becoming pretty important to uh, just use what you actually have local. And I think we all have uh, our forests at home. We all have our oak trees at home. So that makes it complicated to think about amphora, which, I don't know, is coming from somewhere in yeah. many cases. <laughs> for, for us, it's not having any, uh, the, the amphora is not in our culture. So uh, we really, or I really, or we really think that it's very, very important to, to hear where our ancestors were doing before us and the amphoras are not having tradition in Austria. It's nice, it's trendy, it's good to experiment, but for me, personally, it's not an option. No, yeah, it doesn't make sense for your no, understanding of your place. No. Yeah. So, uh, you have amphora. I have amphora <laughs> too. <laughs> uh, it's a nice part um, to work also with a natural material. Also in former times, our district is uh, real famous for clay and uh, uh, brick production. So it's, it's a kind of of tradition of the material, but not for uh, ripening and fermentation. But for me, it's quite nice. Uh, you get a different style against oak and uh, stainless steel tanks. So it's another way what what you can do with the with the material. I will also experiment with um, primary rock mm -hmm. tanks. Primary work, so you have, to, you have yes. a tank in schist. Yes. No, it's uh, granite. So. <laughs> and uh, it's uh, also, so you get with the same grapes of the same vineyards a different style because uh, the, the surface is different and um, yeah, it brings a, a, a different expression of the natural okay. material. 
So yeah. I, I prefer all this material more than stainless steel because yeah. it's for itself. But then the, the, the special thing is to, to bring them real interesting together. So yeah. oak, amphora, clay, or granite, or, or stainless steel. So it, uh, but yeah. it's so interesting because each uh, tank makes his own wine. So that's the big thing. Yeah, at the end of that, uh, every, every, every vessel has its own cinetic with your yeah. work and is how to find the right cinetic for the right site. Yeah. So um, I really think like the one of you and like for this two great variety in terms of tension and precision, I think it's quite, once again, we go back to this idea of a, of a wine that is full and dense, but still extraordinarily alive and fresh. And I think that's the kind of the take out of that. Uh, we are going to move on to uh, the last one and then we are going to dump, uh, unfortunately, so we can test all the wine again in the back uh, at the corner. Uh, here, I, I picked this wine because I wanted to have a Riesling in skin contact uh, and also uh, talk a little bit about this uh, question of reduction, but Riesling in skin contact and what the use of the skin and how you guys uh, have been thinking, working, bringing the skin on your whites. Uh, is it something that you explore matters, um, it's, a, it's a way to preserve freshness, it's a way to bring structure, it's a way to, once again, balancing the alcohol, express the terroir. I believe you can fill the place with skin contact, no problem. Um, so here we are, uh, we are in, in Kemtal, we are really in an area that also is moving quite a lot, we're in the north of Langelois, a little bit to the really north, north, uh, quite high elevation, and it's six weeks skin contact for Riesling. Um, so pick up the reduction on your nose and we can probably start to pull the next flight guys for the Miri and the, and the plotter. And so, yeah, guys, what your, what, what your take on skin and how skin can or cannot, uh, bring something to, to, to the, to the white as an, as a new, as, as a way to express terroir and also balance out other compound like alcohol, especially. So I think, um, it's also the, for me the big thing of the climate change, and so we get also the the, the fruit is still in the skins, and so that's the nice way we can work to to bring more complexity also from the soil into the wine without any other influences of of the wine making techniques. So, uh, as uh, for myself, I I use different uh, contact times depends always on the vintage because uh, in, a, in a 10 years mix, we have maximum two times similar, the same ripeness at the same time. So it's always changing and never one year is like the same like the next year. And I think for the, for this, for special, for a typical wine making of each vintage, you have to get the right feeling, like Adriana said, you have to focus how was the ripening of each special vineyard. And so the skin contact brings you the, the tannin structure and also the fruitiness, the fine fruitiness and minerals uh, back to the wine. So I think that's a special part of skin. Uh, of skin maceration. Yes. So just here, in terms of altitude, we are quite high. Uh, just like just to think on tech, it's less than 20 parts per million for sulfur. We have 400 meters elevation, and soil type is nice. Um, we haven't really talked about uh, this part of that, and they're also Demeter certified. Um, 
I, I think with skin, for me, it's where skin for white, we are still at the very beginning of how to understand it as professional, as one maker, if I may, as how do they age, how do they behave, how do they, how do we test them? Um, and it's, uh, it's a fascinating path we are taking right now, which so many variation on term between the grape variety itself and how it's been vinified and of course the soil type. And it's a whole new alphabet. It's a whole new language. We are just at the very beginning of starting to be able to express and understand how they work. And there is a lot of trials. There is a lot of things that are imperfect, but it's, um, it's a very challenging thing, and we need to build up a new vocabulary for us to understand and, and talk about that. And, and well, we kind of be more secure when we talk about red wine, but I'm not sure we can really use the same feel for white, for the skin. I think in this case, the skin contact is quite interesting because you are playing with a variety who have a very high acidity. So I am sure he was also going through the malolactic uh, you you can taste it, but uh, it is it is a way to play. You no, know, for me, in in on within I don't know. So for me, um, skin contact uh, or, or long macerations uh, for herself is like uh, appropriate for aromatic varieties. Aromatic varieties were make it for hundred years also in this way. You know. And for me, is the big uh, is the big player uh, for make skin con skin contact. But I like it this uh, with riesling. I for, for us, for example, muscat muscat tonel is a variety who works very well. No, and um, in muscat in Austria, have the skin contact have also the the. the the good thing that keeps you down the acidity, so you have always less acidity, but you get, you win always in freshness. So um, even if you uh, fell down maybe one and a half uh, gram of, of acidity, you you still f uh, feel the freshness. And with aromatic varieties, it's always very interesting because they used to be very perfumate and very too heavy and too much. It's like a perfume, a woman with a lot of makeup, a lot of perfume, it's too much. And the stems helps you to, to keep down a little bit, uh, to keep uh, down. A bit more quiet. Yeah, quiet. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and once again, I think also one of the things today about the one we are testing is this idea of oxido reduction and how reduction is to be welcome in, a, in this whole diversity. I think we are talking about reduction in a very narrow, simplistic way, and there is a very big way of expressing it. And today, I think we can test that in wine is something that as taster, we need to kind of get into a little bit more, especially because usually when we're thinking about no-sulfur wine, you always think about oxidation and wines that tends to be uh, brews and aromatics that are a bit falling apart and as well as the structure falling apart. And it's not really the case anymore because between the grape varieties, the type of soils, the vinification techniques, there is way more things happening with this kind of reductive environment and we need to understand how they behave, what does that mean and how they're going to express themselves uh, more than ever. And the, this oxido-reduction cinetic and dynamic is something that we don't really talk in wines and I really think every wine is going to behave differently depending on its density, its olvine, its terroir, and its extraction. And this is something we need to pay way more attention, especially as professionals selling this wine, either on a wine shop or on the floor, because it's a new, each wine is going to have its own duration. It's going to have its own way of developing itself way more than before. So 
So we're going to go down south quickly. Um, you're also going to be in charge because <laughs> it was, uh, I'm so sorry, it was not to be the wine we are supposed to have. So I'm, I'm, I'm not knowing about all the technical aspect of the one from Miri, but we're going to go to Styria for the two next wine. Um, I wanted something called Schist Happens because <laughs> I think that's the best name ever. <laughs> I should have called my restaurant like that. He took it before me. <laughs> but uh, I really, so I've never been to Styria. Um, and I have to say, it's like when you look at pictures and all that, it looks like a little paradise. And it looks also like a, your region looks like paradise, but I've been. So I kind of have an idea. But it looks like some an area that has also is quite strong personality, uh, like yours and own identity. And Sauvignon Blanc, I think I was sitting the other day with people from the Loire Valley in Saint-Saëns. Guys, if there is one area in the world you need to be very worried about, forget about Bordeaux, forget about California, just watch your back with Styria. Because I really think there is a really very strong legit identity of Sauvignon Blanc there that has been there for 100, like 150 years, if I'm not mistaken with a strong personality, ripeness, freshness at the same time, no, no, no worried about expression and getting a bit of that more opulent brightness, no like reductive winemaking. And I really think that you, the, you know, in Styria, there is something very, very strong about this grape and totally legit. So. so with Michi's wine, so it's in, from Kitsek, so it's uh, really uh, uh, strong slopes. So, and it's also quite high his vineyards and from the climate so it's also more on the Mediterranean side. So how far, how far are we from the Mediterranean when you're in Syria? I think it's the next hillside and then it goes down to... <laughs> <laughs> so an hour. I think so it's just what, 200 kilometers to Adria, to the Adriatic seaside uh, in direction so but from this a uh, place you don't see the seaside. <laughs> I have the text sheet on my phone, guys. So I'm going to read you the text sheet and pretend I know everything about the wine. <laughs> no, but it's part also of this. Um, once again, you all guys kind of belong to the same dynamic. Uh, family has been there for quite some time in the area and you are taking over your parents' generation are also allowing you to go in a certain direction. Uh, you are transitioning from a certain market and economical structure for the winery to do something else and going to export and all that is a little bit what also he, do, he did like in, in, in his own way. So we are all kind of following the same dynamic right now, like heritage on the side and then opening with parents and everything supporting you, but parents also that already kind of understood the the importance of farming and the importance of being. Um, I, mean, uh, I know Michi Lawrence, I think not as well as, as you do, but I think it's pretty brave what uh, he's doing because uh, he's in a region which is uh, quite famous for tourism and um, yeah, um, there, there's something like, um, yeah, also wine tourism is going on there. And um, yeah, in many cases, um, you will not find many difference between um, your winery and the neighbor winery. They're quite um, <laughs> the same style. Uh, you have, I, I have to tell you that uh, for Welsh Riesling, for example. Um, but uh, he's doing a, a quite interesting thing there, um, uh, completely different to 
most of uh, his neighbors and uh, bringing a completely new dimension in Sauvignon Blanc. I mean, Sauvignon Blanc um, is uh, becoming the variety in Asturia or is the variety in Asturia. And I think uh, you really have to search for uh, those two wines we will have now um, to find somewhere else. Yeah, because you had a pioneer group of people that put Styria with this reflection of farming and really, honestly, the, the Musser and the Chepi and all that of the world really helped in America to, to put a light on this region and to think differently about this region. And now more people are really like embrace, like not embracing, but following their own identity because doors have been open. So um, I, I'm sorry, I didn't receive that. So I'm not going to pretend I know anything about the winemaking. Um, but um, I encourage you just to deep dive. The of schist happens. There is schist soil there. It's high elevation. This kind of diurnal shift again that is very, very interesting. The one I wanted to have was a Solera Sauvignon Blanc style with skin contact. So this idea, once again, of using time, using the skin, and thinking differently about how to express the soul without thinking about it. it has to be a vintage and it has to be a single vineyard. It can be something a bit broader than that. So I encourage you. I think the wine is over there too at the, at the tasting, so you can taste it over there. We're going to go to the next one. And for the next one, uh, it's going to be very simple. I would like you to tell me which is a grape variety. You, you can't play. Like These guys, they can't play because we talk about it. What is a grape variety? Okay. I'm going to help you. Alors, who think it's Riesling? Sauvignon Blanc. One Sauvignon Blanc. Welsh Riesling? Muscat? Oh, you have to play, guys. <laughs> Weissbergender? Grunewaldliner? We want to see some hands. Guys, there is no one. You are not playing. <laughs> Allez, let's do it again. Riesling. Allez, allez. Sauvignon blanc. OK. Uh, what did I say? Welsh Riesling. Got it. Muscat. Muscat. Uh, Weissburgunder. Chardonnay. Why not? Why not? Chardonnay with a little something. Uh, 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 Pinot Gris. Ah. Oh. Okay. We well, we all lost. Okay. This one is made at 90% with hybrids. Okay. So um, and I wanted really to have an hybrid wine, uh, Pee wine, uh, in the flights. Um, because I think it's a very important subject today. A lot of people are talking about it. Uh, Austria has been one of the countries with northern Italy and Germany and Switzerland to really kind of really try and embrace this idea quite a long time ago. So we start to finally have some vineyards that start to be a little bit older and we start to have a tiny bit of terroir expression because they're getting old vines. So here you get two grape varieties that are, uh, in fact, uh, genetically um, uh, parents. You have Bronner. I'm not going to give you the heritage of Bronner, but uh, it's a little bit of a 
Vitis amurensis, which is a, a vitis that is from Asia in, in the blend. And the other one is Sauvignet Gris, and Sauvignet Gris is Bronner crossed with Cabernet Sauvignon. But this is hybrid at 90%, and you have a tiny bit of Weisburgunder in this wine. And uh, the Proder-Rosenberg family has been in biodynamics since some time, but they've been also working with hybrid since some times. And I thought it would be interesting to test, uh, I think, a very well uh, executed wine, like it's a very well-made, well-vinified and expressive wine where you don't really get a lot of the usual uh, preconception and or hybrid um, um, yeah, prejudices that we have. I think this wine, I would have been totally fooled and it would have been impossible for me to say that it was coming from hybrids. So be careful, like, let's be clear, it's hybrids that we call peewees that have been developed in the last 50 years. We're not talking about hybrids like, like we have in New York, for example, that are way older, they're from the early 19th century, from the 18th stands, the Delaware, the Catoba, and all that. Very foxy, very powerfully aromatic, a lot of Labrusca. It's not, I'm not talking about the hybrids developed during the Phylloxera crisis, the Maréchal Foch, the Seval, the Vidal, and all that. We are talking about hybrids that have been developed over the last 40, 50 years with a new technique that the idea is to, to manage to cross vitis in order to take a gene characteristic to one of them while preserving the vinifera quality in terms of, of the taste, okay? So it's a very different way of thinking about how we work with vitis vinifera and vitis labrusca, vitis riparia, vitis amurensis, uh, miscadinia, and all these guys, okay? So we are talking about peewees. So I wanted to have one of these wine today because I really think it's part of the discussion it's part of what we're going to face more and more. It's part of great variety we need to pay attention to. Guys, what do you think about, like, do you have peewees? Are you working with them? Is it something that is on your mindset for climate change on one side? Because some of them are really being worked to be drought resistant, but also disease resistant, which is a big one against mildew and oidium especially. That's kind of a big thing for them. Family Loda Rosenberg, they are um, good friends from, from me. They are completely um, happy uh, and uh, they believe on, on PVs. They were one of the first wineries who we are working with and they are completely, they, they want to change, no? they want to just uh, be 100% working with PVs because they are so happy. What you say is uh, easier uh, way to manage uh, with um, with um, the diseases on the vineyards. So in this way, they can reduce uh, sulfur and, and, and kupfer, uh, copper, uh, copper, yeah. copper levels. And yeah, they, they think like this and they will go through. For me, personal, um, I respect it a lot. I think, uh, I think it's good. They should do it, but it's not for me. Yeah. Same to me. Um, there must be some something which is um, not good because, um, I mean, uh, you you just told us um, oh the uh, PV it, it's uh, it's you don't like it. <laughs> no 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 I mean uh, um, it, it's pretty easy to handle because um, you will not get uh, any mildew and. Um, uh, they don't need uh, that much water and so on, but uh, yeah, that, that's the thing. That's why they probably lack in 
the um, aromatic or in the um, variety character and I don't know it's it's just I don't uh, feel a future for the varieties so I'm the same like Adriana probably we are too romantics still <laughs> and for this we so just and then I'm going to give you guys but you know we have whole we are all hybrids just you me strawberry like the hybrid is crossing two spaces Okay, so far all the grape variety we know the Vitis vinifera have been crossed inside the Vitis vinifera. Okay, Cabernet Sauvignon is Cabernet France slash Sauvignon Blanc inside the Vitis vinifera. But Vitis is very able to cross between spaces, so we can cross not all of them, but a lot of them. We can cross a Vitis Labrusca with a Vitis vinifera, and it has been done spontaneously. The Catoba and the Delaware, I know that very well because I work with these guys. They have been spontaneous cross happening in America. So a hybrid is a dirty word for some people, but it's also the reality of most of the living spaces, just to be clear. The fact is just with what's happening right now, we are pushing it in a lab in a way that is really faster with very specific will about the variety we want to obtain. And so what can be done in nature spontaneously what us as human can we do in a lab as the same kind of, you know, holistic quality, I would say. So I believe hybrids is, is I believe it's real. It's like we are hybrids. But what we are pushing from lab and maybe what's happening in a different way is a whole different story. I believe there is a future for that because it's true in France, there is a study, hybrids, they allow 80% less use of, of treatment for oidium and mildew. So it's not nothing when we are talking about, it's not nothing, it's something we need to consider. What about the result in a glass? That's a whole different story. But in terms of preserving and not having to use products for everything, there are definitely some things you can't just cross out. If something needs to be observed, but do we need to have the result in a glass and what's done? That's a whole different thing. And can we be God instead of nature? That's all. I tried, I tried also PV, but only one row to, to see how it is to handle also in the vineyard work. So, uh, but at the moment uh, it's so difficult because uh, all the PV planting is uh, quite too young. So for the idea of, of a nice great wine is when the root system is still finished. So it takes over 10 years. And that's the big thing so yep. of the changing. So uh, we try only now really young uh, wines from young vineyards. And that's also difficult to, to see how, how is the taste in the future and what brings the wine to make them, brings them also more deepness inside. So for me, it's also, I come from a real quite dry region. So uh, we don't have to think about this alternative way of, of replanting our vineyards because it's quite dry and we almost can handle, no, handle some it pressure. Easy, yeah? Yeah. 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 We have not the pressure of, 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 of the fungus. And yeah. That. yeah, so we are going to go to, so I think Peewee's open question, keep your mind open. I think we're going to see a lot of different things happening. The, age, the root system, the age of the root system is going to change a lot also with people working very, very seriously. I think we're going to be able to talk a bit more about that 
now because we are seeing 10 years old, 15 years old, 20 years old vineyard coming into production and we can test them. Uh, you don't test Bronner or Souvigné Gris very often, you know. Uh, it's also we don't know how to test them. So we to be humble about our judgment on that. Um, and at the end, you need farming. You need a good farming, you need clonal diversity, and you need biodiversity, and we go back to the same thing. So one of the problems with peewees, you have only one clone right now, so, and they still need to be grafted. So, you know, a lot of questions. Uh, let's just refresh ourselves with Petnat, and then last flight, and then you have seven minutes, but you have 10 minutes to talk. <laughs> so yeah, we just wanted to feel like Petnat again, Panobili, like uh, St. Lawrence, and I think it's absolutely delicious, Petnat. Yeah. Yeah, St. Laurent is a, for me actually a big thing in our region. It's really authentic variety. It's, you really com can compare it with Pinot Noir. Uh, it's really elegant, fresh styled, um, herbal. Um, and I think also you can do a lot of products out of St. Laurent. Um, like Andreas did it. He's uh, three towns away from me. Uh, he's did a, I think he did a great job. Um, it's actually a really hot region where we, we are. And if a wine tastes like that, uh, really refreshing, really, really nice, really cool, then... Yeah, because it feels like a, a nice ripe acidity. It doesn't feel, like yeah. you said, that the solution yeah. is not to pick earlier. That's not the solution because you yeah. don't get what you guys want, which is the aromatic compound and everything is going to make a wine last and also taste yeah. complex. And here you can... You can still feel it's probably not picked yep. late November, yep. but you can feel there is enough aromatics that you can pinpoint the grape if you yep. know it a little bit. And I think what I really like on Saint Laurent, I think it's for me cold climate variety. You know, if you have really hot vintage, Saint Laurent stays ev every time at 12 alcohol, and it's still fresh. It's every time fresh. And also, if you have really um, cool vintage, Saint Laurent will be the the first winter, uh, the, the, the first. Um, grape variety which is ripe and I think it's a it's a big uh, advantage to do it but it's like Pinot Noir it's it's really hard to grow it's you have tight punches you need the right places and yeah you those guys in in, in I think in, in lower Austria they know it because they have more fattier soil or more moisture or more more clay soil you can say it like that and I think it's hard St. Laurent you you have to grow um, my father is also farmer and he's always saying we, we have to put St. Laurent where the, the cereals just go 10 centimeters, where nothing is growing. There you have to put St. Laurent. And then yeah, you get. Otherwise, you get like, like closer as to tight, yeah. you get too much like rot or stuff like that. Yeah. Like it's not yeah, loose yeah, yeah, enough yeah, yeah. and yeah. You, you can't get. A... And with right farming, uh, so organic farming and the right soil, St. Laurent is possible, but you don't find so much St. Laurent because it's. It's so much, but, you know, but it's, it's so it's nice. One, I, I would say it's one of the grapes from the red wine from uh, Austria, I know the less, because the St. Laurent I tasted 10 years ago, they were either just like very varietal and kind of bland. You didn't really know where you were going or they were too oaked. Um, and the delicacy was not there. And it's a grape I've been rediscovering over the last three, four years, but things are coming. And just um, in terms of his expressivity, and, and, and I understood the difficulty of farming, and you were like, Okay, no, I get why. I'm a, di I'm a difficult Valgard. guy. I'm a difficult guy, so I produce St. Laurent. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to test this Valgal from you. <laughs> so yeah, um, and I, I have to say, my, my, my uh, awakening with St. Laurent was also with sparkling and petnat, and then I went back to the red. But as an alternative to Pinot Noir, 
you know, I went, I was always going for Blau Frankish kind of, because this was probably the grape that was mastered in a way or was shown in international scene and shipped to us where you could see like, wow, that's a really good alternative for us as sommelier to play with Blau Frankish. But now Blau Frankish for me is a bit more structured than Pinot Noir, especially if I'm thinking about Septentrional Pinot Noir from my country. But St. Laurent is just where I'm looking for in terms of tannin extraction, aromatic delicacy, florality, and all that. Well, Blau Frankish is a tiny bit more buffed up uh, and going kind of one step higher. So I'm very glad to see more and more St. Laurent coming out now. And so that's what we're going to taste. <laughs> so we're going to taste... Uh, the last wine, uh, we are going to go um, quite quickly with the St. Laurent from the Chardonnay. So we are going to go again with like the local guy from Van Viertel. <laughs> and then we are going to take your wine, Andreas, and finish with Thomas. And thanks for, I hope we are almost there. So, do you want to talk where they are? Also, uh, <laughs> of Matthias and his uh, family. <laughs> He's also in the Weinviertel district, but he's really close to the... Yeah, are they close to Johannes? Uh, he's uh, quite close to Johannes, I think it's a half hour right by car, but he's really close to Slovakia border. Uh, and it's also a, a quite uh, dry region because it's the landscape is more flat, so... It's the big difference uh, for me, so because there are uh, a lot of uh, windmills uh, to produce energy in this district, uh, so the landscape is because it's real flat and um, quite dry. So they make also the Burgundian varieties at, the, at this place, and now they also change to biodynamic farming the last years and. So uh, as a specialist of St. Laurent, we're going to taste the wine. Um, I, I think this is a great introduction to the grape. It's a bit on the juicier side, and we are going to taste it because I think you pick up that ripeness in, in, the, in the grape. Um, and I really like the way that the winemaking didn't try to hide it too much. Like they really went for that juicier style without um, trying to make it too aged or to go with any kind of uh, hard oak treatment of that kind of burst. And I think that's, for me, a very good introduction to the grape, to people that don't know it, in a more uh, friendly, um, easygoing way. It's like two brothers and one sister, right? Um, I have a question uh, because I really don't have any idea of uh, San Clarent. Uh, we never had it in our region. Um, wh why is uh, San Clarent definitely uh, more uh, powerful in color than Pinot? All four, they are like brothers or sisters. Um, actually, I think um, San Clarent often. Uh, a lot of wineries do St. Laurent often uh, more conventional way, so it 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 I think it 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 fucks the variety a lot. It, it changed the variety a lot, 
I think St. Laurent. Um, you should um, be really gentle, really like you. Uh, it's 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 always complicated in the vineyard in the cellar, um, and I think that's the that's the reason why it's it's you find it mostly on conventional way, and so then it tastes uh, not like St. Laurent. I actually, I think um, it's it's a bit darker than Pinot Noir, but actually that that case of Saint Laurent is is or that that wine is a bit darker than normal, I would say. Oh. Yeah, like just in terms of tech for this wine, um, it's eighty percent distem and twenty percent whole cluster, and it's very short maceration. It's only fourteen days on the skin. Okay, so it's not a lot of extraction. There is no pigeage whatsoever. So. There is a little bit of color indeed to the grape. Um, but once again, guys, color doesn't mean tannin. It's, it's a complex family. Huh? We're not going to go into the final story, but it's, I never thought St. Laurent to be very tannic. I always thought more color, but not very tannic. So just, you, we don't drink with our eyes, and huh? don't forget that. And I think here we can feel that, especially there is a bit of CO2 dissolved here, okay? Especially when we open the wine, you definitely feel the pritz. And CO2 is an acid, it's carbonic acid and all that, but it should handle the tannin, and it's, it's not the case at all. You feel how the tannin are just soft and ripe and gentle and have this kind of almost a sweet feeling in the back. Salivation is close to nowhere. You don't salivate the same way with tannin that we salivate with acid. Uh, the salivation with tannin is way more thicker. When you pay attention to your saliva, it's a very good interpretation of the wine. If you have a lot of tannin in your wine, your saliva is going to be very thick. When you spit, it's going to be white in your spit tune. If you have a lot of acid in your wine, your saliva is going to be way more rich in water. So water versus protein-based saliva. And here, if you spit, you won't have a lot of that white stuff. You're going to have more like a translucent spitting because there is more acid. Okay, that's something we don't really learn about when we talk about wine. We need to continue to exp like expand that. And this is central, like for me here, it's more like acid-driven, very gentle, soft tannin. I don't need to kind of, my, my mouth doesn't need to create a new buffer to protect myself from tannin. And I just keep with that very nice watery salivation that is driven by the acid structure. Okay, so once again, another thing we need to start to think about when you taste wine. I think that's super cool. And with a little bit of spritz, you don't feel the tannin. It's just like give a little bit of burst. It just like bangs out. People like gamay, you get them, and they're like, wow, that's yeah. cool. <laughs> and that's even better. Not really, but uh, uh, here we are. So let's talk about your wine. Yeah, um, yeah we, are, we are actually, the, yeah, I'm sitting in the corner. And I'm also in the corner of Austria, so really, really, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm the Hungarian. Uh, so, so really close to Hungarian and Slovakian border. And there is a big lake, they didn't uh, told, told yet. Uh, there is a lake called Neusiedlersee, and I'm in the eastern part of the lake. Um, it, for me, our region, I would describe it, I said it before, it's like the Africa of Austria. It was back in the days. Uh, it was it was uh, a sea, and uh, the leftovers of the sea. There are small spots of water, and also the soils. They are dominated by this salty character, I would say. And yeah, 
we try to to bring in a really hot region, a warm region. We we're gonna try to 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 make uh, fresh style wines, and yeah, with Austrian uh, with authentic Austrian varieties. And in red, we are we are on 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 Zweigeld and St. Laurent. Here we have a wine uh, which is a single vineyard wine. It's called Hutweide. That means um, it it was back in the days uh, all the farmers they had they had cows by their own they had pigs they had uh wine they had everything and there was the the area which is close to the village and there was back in the days there was cows there yeah and it's that's hood weide weide means like uh i don't know i cannot translate uh any one of you yeah 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 something like that yeah greenland yeah yeah and yeah it's um it's actually it's it's quite a, a rich soil there. It's completely the opposite where we we grow uh, Saint Laurent. It's rich soil, black earth. But what is really cool on the on that soil is um, in the underground we have iron, and that gives the wines the doministic uh, freshness. And um, yeah, uh, actually no one no one told already. Uh, this is quality wine, so it it made. Uh, a, um, it, it's a bit complicated to, to explain, but it's you have to 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 have to put your wines to a commission and they taste it and say uh, if it's right or not. And it's got really complicated, you know. I really want to make terroir wine, and I want to write my single vineyard on the label, but it's really hard. So I have to try it for my style of wines. I have to try it three or four times sometimes. Uh, yeah, because you know you have the system, you have the DAC, you yeah. have the DAC, you have a specific yeah. uh, grape variety for the DAC, the DAC, and then there you have a pyramidal system yeah. now from village to single vineyard yeah. that needs to follow that. So it's uh, the but problem of legislation on one side too. Yeah. And but, but for me, it's so important uh, that that I write uh, this vineyard on it because you should feel the vineyard. You, it's it's completely the the region. You should feel it, and you should feel. Uh, Hood yes. and you should feel there is, yeah. there is there is a, there is an, an identity there is a, a reason why that yeah. Valgard on that Hood vineyard yeah. expressed like that and for me it's also I would say a style for me a cool climate style uh, which represents really good good Austria uh, it's really limited so we have really small yields uh, we yeah we harvest yeah generally everything with hand and uh, with small boxes, uh, we put the boxes, the, the 50 kilogram boxes in 500 liter barrels, in open barrels. Uh, then we make maceration carbonique for, I don't know, 10 to 14 days. My father is getting a bit nervous if it's, if it's, if it's smelling after lactic. He's saying, oh, you, we do vinegar. And I said, it's okay, no, we need it. We, 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 we have to do it like that. That's the good way. And then after, that period, um, I go in with my feet, and we do we take everything with us. So whole stems, as 100% uh, stems in it. Um, it's for me. It's important uh, that you have everything what you have outside the, in the wine. And yeah. what you're thinking about the stem, yeah. Yeah, and so you should feel it. I think I think one of the big evolution for red wine for Austria for me is especially the oak management that used to be very prominent ten or fifteen years ago and you were 
you could feel that the juice was fantastic and there was really a lot of quality in the red wine, like the red grape variety, but the, uh, the, the vinification was a bit too much to extract it, yeah. too much punch down, too much oak treatment, and you were right. missing it. And I think what you can see today is a kind of a transparency of all the wine we've been tasting without losing the complexity. Yeah, yeah. And, and Stefan already told you, you know, you know those, those wines, are, they, they're really hard to sell in Austria, you know. Uh, it's like you want to do really natural, you want to do it uh, not influenced, and it, it's hard because... Uh, you don't have the crowd for that, it's not yeah, the palette, yeah, is not there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But we are here. So, uh, I am America not so agree. Eh? It's like in Austria and Vienna is a very big natural movement and... It is the country is uh, very, I think, very developed. So I am not so agree. Maybe not in maybe not in Salzburg or so. But it's just five to ten percent. Yeah, yeah. 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 So it's like half of the population no, from Austria. So yeah, it's changing. Uh, we we are first in America and we need wine. So. Uh, <laughs> But, and let's just finish because guys, we have some wine to taste and we don't want to hold you more. And uh, if you have uh, one or two questions, um, same thing, the one from, um, from Thomas, which is also in your area, guys, if I'm not mistaken. So Svalgard and St. Laurent blend, um, if you want just to maybe, in terms of the expression and what he's doing with this wine. He's a great winemaker. Um, he's one of the first ones who, He's young, no? He maybe he's 45 years old, but he's uh, working since many, many years, uh, organical and, and natural. Since the mid 90s, so, oh, yeah. Yeah, since the beginning, no? So I remember when I was arriving to Austria, like 12 years ago, he was already uh, doing what he's doing now, and I think this is also a very important quality. Uh, you know that he is what he is. Uh, he does. He does not try to to make nothing. He's good. He's making very good, and uh, he's in the area of uh, in Binden. Actually, it's called. It's a small uh, town. It's close to to Neusiedl too. Also influenced by the Neusiedlerse, and there they are having more. So how would say shota of the English gravel. gravel. So more gravel uh, gravel soils and yeah. I think here we are going to finish with this wine, guys. It's 11.5% alcohol. It's complete. You know, we are all striving because our guests are asking for this kind of lighter profile of red wine that are highly drinkable, but we don't want to just give them something glue-glue that just, once again, have this carbonic aspect. Here you have, like, 11.5% alcohol. It's complete. It's, you have enough weight. The tannins are still here. They are very discreet, but they are still here. There is a complexity in terms of the aromatic profile because you pick up a bunch of stuff, you pick up some fruits, there is a variety, there is some vegetal characteristics that are very interesting, especially for pairing when you have a food that is heavy in vegetable and, and certain type of lactic ferment and all this kind of thing. And it's possible. And there is a lot of things like that for me happening in Australia in terms of red wine when you can have 11 and a half up to 13% wine with elegance, depth, layers but still very approachable if you don't know anything about wine because if you pour that to somebody it's super highly satisfying you know there is everything that a newbie would like it's just juicy and given and and but if you like wine there is enough depth and enough layers to satisfy you and in terms of pairing as a pro, like I'm like I can see a bunch of things I can do. You can do that by the glass, and you can do that. So I think that's something 
I think is very exciting about that in terms of the range. The white are structured without losing their acidity and the red are getting more and more subtle and nuanced and really giving a bunch of layers without losing their identity uh, and giving like a bunch of really potential in terms of alcohol profile. So I hope you enjoy the wine we tasted today. I think it's really just a glimpse about what's happening in your country because it's really very stimulating. The quality is extraordinarily high. As you can see, there is a lot of also uh, demand on themselves to put in a market wines that are not flooded because I'm sorry, uh, too much VA, too much mouse, too much breads. I can't pour that by the glass. I do one glass and then I can't do it anymore. And I want to have wines that express the place, the work, and the grape. You know, I want everything with low sulfur, if no sulfur. And I have to say what the lineup is today. It's like really, it's very, very high and it's very, very highly stimulating. So bravo, bravo guys, for what you are doing. It's very cool. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.